0: This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing games and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Monday, March 9th of 2020, it's episode 173. In this episode, Grant and Peter brainstorm ideas for Peter's campaign, plus us as gaming characters, a sad passing, cats getting fixed, Robert E. Howard, And more.
1: Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And that's not a Jenny. Nope. No. Jenny is out traveling. It's a family thing. And uh, goodness knows, travel is difficult around the world right now. So if you can, uh, you know, uh, be thinking of her and everyone else having to travel, it's probably a good idea. Uh, But that does mean that we are going to have to break up our alignment series just a little bit. And uh, we're going to do something that i haven't actually done yet which is brainstorm on some stuff for peter's game if we get around to that because we had a bunch of like meta questions arise as we were trying to plan the topic yeah (laughs) uh spawned a whole different episode topic we're gonna have to do at some point so we'll see what happens yeah this is gonna be
0: a very loose casual episode oh yeah it's gonna
1: be weird Um, yeah, uh, Peter, you actually just got back from
0: something important. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So uh, I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that uh, I sit on the board of the local like food pantry and emergency financial services agency here in town. It's a a nice little nonprofit called the Moore Center, um, which stands for Marengo Area Outreach Enterprises. And they do a bunch of things. There's there's a food bank. There's emergency financial assistance. They do some clothing assistance. Yeah, we have linked to them before. Yeah. We've fundraised for them. They are awesome. Yeah, they are a wonderful, efficient little charity, 100% volunteer staff, just a really nice group of people working. A lot of retired teachers on the board, actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, but what I came back from tonight was, unfortunately, the visitation for the former director of the food pantry who got me onto the board of this organization in the first place uh Janice Perkins was her name and she passed away recently so there's a lot of sad people here in town it was it was interesting i went to her visitation and it's telling that the only person that i recognized there was her husband and the parking lot was full so she made a a lot of positive impact on a lot of lives and she was a pretty nice person to interact with, too. I'm going to miss her, and I'm far from alone in that. Yeah,
1: and our condolences to her family, and uh, we'll be thinking of you all as well. Yep. Uh, as for me, I got back from, you know, we were just kind of hinting at the coronavirus. I definitely just spent my evening surrounded by snuffly children, so that was
0: great. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, I, we okay, so we've had a a coronavirus come through this house because the common cold is a coronavirus. Yeah. Just not COVID-19, but my wife yeah. and I I am pretty much done being a snot factory. My wife is like deep in the middle of it. So, I'm just getting over one. So if you hear
1: a little bit of a cough, I apologize. Uh between that and like kind of generic seasonal allergies that lightly hit me occasionally. Yeah gonna have Peter's gonna have a little editing work to do but Eh, yeah I just got back from like a, a literacy night event at uh my daughter's school so you know lots of kids doing activities and they had a lot of fun the kids had fun it was great um cool little event a little poignant in a way because my daughter is changing schools next year she's going to a a really cool program but you know talking with her. She's like, oh, I'm so excited to do this next year. I'm sure I sort of look at her. You're not going to be at that school next year. Oh, I'm going to miss that. So, you know, mildly poignant. Yeah. I, I am excited for my daughter's new school, no question. Uh, it's gonna, Despite the massive logistical challenges it will present, she's changing from a school three minutes away to one about 40 minutes away. So,
0: oh boy, it's going to be fun. That was an invitation only school that she got into as well, so that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: I, I guess I should talk about this briefly because it could conceivably have some impact on the podcast uh, starting, you know, next school year. I don't know exactly. She got invited to the Charles Town Center, Greenville County, uh, in South Carolina. It is not broken up; it has a county wide school district. Which means that it has a lot of kids and it's a very big district, which is great. My mother taught at the Fine Arts Center for 35 years and you can't have a school dedicated to arts that has like architecture and pottery and painting and an entire facility just for art and theater and dance, all of those things at like a small school district.
0: Yeah, the, that sort of thing is unheard of in the area that I live in where towns are a couple thousand up to a couple ten thousand, you know. Yeah, and, and
1: Greenville County is reasonably large as it goes. Greenville's a, a very dynamic city. There's a lot going on. And so, you know, we can support something like that, which is great. But it's also a big district as these things go, you know, for a city this size. And so we have programs like that. We have magnet schools all over. And this is a magnet school for basically gifted and talented kind of kids. It's neat because it is a combined elementary and middle school. They're there from third grade to eighth grade, which is kind of very unusual, but I think may help through the horrible transition that is middle school. We were joking about middle school last episode. I mean, this may help a lot, uh, but it is it is because it's not the local school. It is going to be a 40-minute drive in the morning, and they are moving school times earlier for elementary school kids next
0: year. You know, it's interesting. A lot of, like, really small communities combine middle schools and yeah, elementary schools. Like, the 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 tiny little town that I grew up in for, like, the first nine years of my life Their elementary and middle schools were together, and Mm -hmm. I have a horrible story about being bullied by middle schoolers when I was just trying to go home for lunch one day, so that was (laughs) fun. Yeah. Um, Whereas with this one, um, third graders basically have to do a research paper. Um, Oh, that's interesting. That's something you don't usually encounter until, like, seventh grade. Well,
1: that's the thing, though. It's a little research project introducing the idea of how do you research things. Is really what it is. So they can pick literally any topic, okay? It's not limited to a, like, this is my, you know, my history research project. No. If you want it to be about ants, cool. If you want it to be about Legos, cool. If you want it to be about Second World War, cool. Whatever. You're in third grade. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Minecraft, go oh, nuts. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Minecraft is a great one. They have an eighth grader partner up with them and
0: show them how it's done. Oh, that's interesting. So they create kind of like a mentorship. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's yeah. cool. There's a lot of that sort of stuff that
1: happens. So it's really cool. Uh I'm really excited about it. But as I said I don't know what this is going to entail in terms of after-hours stuff. They have a Lego club. My daughter's very excited about that. So you know, we'll see uh we'll see what happens. And you know, they have all sorts of neat stuff. I don't know if that will have any impact on the podcast next year. I kind of doubt it. Um, but who knows? She may want some help with stuff. Yeah. I mean,
0: well, I mean, finding, finding an hour or two to record once every other yeah. week isn't so bad. Now that you're not editing anymore, it's probably not going to have much effect. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't expect it to, but that's the thing. I mean, good
1: grief. Yeah. <clears throat> she, she, instead of reading for bedtime, she and I worked out various properties of the Pascal's triangle. Wow. For bedtime last okay. night. Okay. I mean, this is what she does. So. I mean,
0: you've listeners. You've heard Grant for the last seven and a half years. You've heard Chrissy come on several times. Does she's it surprise any us. of you that their kid is smart? Because it doesn't me. Well, so. she,
1: but she's she's aggressively curious about everything, which
0: is awesome. Um, and she's a good him. trait to have. It. It'll serve her well later in life, especially yeah, if absolutely. she gets a school that doesn't smash it out of her. So yeah, and our our, uh, our younger one is also.
1: Aggressively curious. I drove him home from that literacy event thing and it was just a battery of questions. Hey, why is my car seat in in your car different from my car seat in that car? Why is there a car ahead of us? Why is that? Why is this? Why is that? (laughs) It's like... uh I mean, out of
0: spoons, but I I want to encourage this curiosity. What do I do?
1: Tell me about it. Uh, Speaking of noise and questions, if you hear banging, I apologize. Um, The kittens get fixed tomorrow, so we had to take their food up, and that means they may be begging at the door. Oh dear, (laughs) yes, Uh, that'll be fun.
0: We're going to starve to death. No, you're not. Shut up. (laughs) Yeah. Let's see. What else has been going on?
1: It's been a little while since I've been on the mics, it feels like. Well, um,
0: both of us have actually been digging into Robert E. Howard a little bit lately. So there's yeah, that. Yeah,
1: just by random coincidence, without talking to each other, we've been doing that. Well, I know where mine came from. I was listening to an episode of uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff, and Ken Haidt mentioned Robert E. Howard in passing. And I it occurred to me that I had – um, and Derek White had also talked about – uh, Solomon Kane.
0: Yep, on the episode recently. that he and Ashley Mowers were on. So Right,
1: so that was like two different references to Robert E. Howard. And I was like, man, you know, I've read all the Conan books, but I know nothing about Solomon Kane, and I know nothing about Call the Conqueror or really anything else he wrote. So I checked the uh, the local, or our library system and they have, I, I've talked about this before, we've got a thing where you can borrow audiobooks mm-hmm. uh, you know, up to like seven things a month. Well, they have collections of uh, these different properties right call and uh, Solomon Kane. And it's kind of cool because these collections include like drafts and poems and unpublished pieces and things like that that were just sort of pulled out of his papers.
0: Yeah, I've I've got um, a printed collection of, like, everything he ever wrote about Solomon oh, nice. Kane, including, like, stuff that he never finished. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, some of those unfinished stories are just horrible because it's like, oh, wow, this is going to a really cool place. And it just ends there in the yeah. middle of a paragraph. <laughs> he never finished <laughs> yes, that one. Exactly. Because he, he passed no, away very not early. No, I'm angry age. about this thing with these mysterious glowing red-eyed riders that Solomon Kane's clearly going to fight. That right, he never exactly. finished it. No, that doesn't bother me at all. He said, yeah, "Lying through his any, teeth." <laughs> does yours, by any chance,
1: include the um, epitaph that was published in Weird Tales? I don't know. I because that's it, actually how the um audiobook that I was listening to opened was with his epitaph, huh? From Weird Tales, and they kind. Of, what was cool is it ended up being a summary of his work and his life. Because they were kind of talking about, you know, what he did, right? It was written to all the readers of Weird
0: Tales. And he passed away at a very early age. Yeah, Howard was like my age when he died, wasn't he? Like early 40s? I don't
1: don't know for certain. But yeah, he passed away very early, kind of at the prime of his career in a way. And so that was one of the things that they were sort of talking about. But it was kind of an interesting thing that this thing written at the end of his life was a great introduction for him. So it's kind of cool. Anyway, I' have been on a kick with Robert E
0: Howard, and you, for whatever reason, have been reading Conan. Have you read Conan before? No, never uh, by the way, oh. real quick, he was thirty when he died, so he was oh, even wow. younger than me, so there we go, um, yeah, yeah, younger than me i'd never uh I'd never read any Conan at all, and I just I ran across a bunch of disconnected stuff in rapid succession that referred back to it, and I was like, you know, this is probably something that I should at least try a little bit of.
1: Absolutely. And I'll say this, it's really good. It holds up. Is he a man of his time? Yes. Is he a very progressive, forward-thinking man of his time? Who's writing about a very regressive, imagined period? Yes, and it's very interesting. You get yeah. a contrast
0: there. <laughs> the other thing, too, is, like you said, like he was writing a century ago, effectively, yeah. and his writing style holds up. It does. I would stick him next to some solid contemporary authors like Sanderson or um, somebody like that. It's just his writing has a nice flow to it. His his word choice is pretty good. Um, It's got a certain timelessness. Yeah. Yeah. It's and it's it's kind of interesting because, like, this stuff has endured. And back then it was like the cheap mass market fiction of its day. You it know? was,
1: although he was beginning to move into more serious literature. He was writing Westerns and, and trying to write some things about kind of the area in Texas he grew up in and things like that right, right as he passed away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, it like it's definitely stuck around for a long time.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: speaking of other old school things, by the way, my wife and I had a bit of a, a child free weekend, which was amazing and on a whim because – this is what we used to do when we had free time. I reinstalled Diablo 2. Okay. <laughs> and we both played played a bunch of Diablo 2
0: for a while. All right. Together. So which classes were you guys playing? Okay, what do you think Chrissy played? A barbarian? Nope. Paladin? Yes. It's her first <laughs> time playing a paladin. Okay. It only she took me to- two guesses. She play Chrissy plays hit things
1: classes though. She does. She's actually really struggling because like managing auras is like oh, this is a lot of work can't i just hit things really hard well i mean you can dump all your points into thorns and then just use that yeah oh no thorns is thorns is awful
0: but um well, it, it must have been I, like i, I think we better were going, when uh, i was playing it or something that game has been retweaked and rebalanced so many times oh yeah absolutely no i think she's um working towards a
1: uh, zeal fanaticism build uh to just hit very fast gotcha Uh, And and, you? (laughs) uh, uh, So my first serious Diablo 2 character uh, that I tried to like really optimize and do research on and things like that was uh, an Amazon using a bow with freezing arrow. Because there's a bunch of interesting mechanics. Like every – no matter how much damage they do, every additional source of cold damage like from any piece of equipment or any charm adds one second to freeze duration. Interesting. So if you stack – uh, a bunch of small charms even if it's like they are one to two cold damage in normal you can freeze for like 30 you can freeze an enemy for like 30 seconds wow that'll make boss fights a lot
0: less uh challenging well not boss fights right because okay. those don't
1: freeze but uh it like any any of those uh, horrible minion packs
0: yeah just right? freeze the
1: whole pack huh <laughs> freeze freeze them all and then of course uh in nightmare that's halved and hell that's halved again but you know a quarter of fifteen seconds is, or thirty seconds, is still a lot of time. Seven in an and, and a half RPG. seconds, yeah. <laughs> so a you lot know, that, can happen in seven and a half seconds. Yeah, an so I'm kind of playing with that. I'm, I'm I'm building back towards that. We're having fun, and then I've been playing a bunch of Skyrim too on the on my Xbox 360, which still manages to work. So. I don't know,
0: slightly old school
1: lately. It's been kind
0: of amusing. I've been kind of going old school by way of new school with my... I've been playing Pathfinder Kingmaker, and I'm getting close to the end of it, I think. So... Okay. Um. I, I played it, like, when it first came out. It was one of the games that I streamed, and I logged some ridiculous number. I want to say, like, 170 hours or something in there, and I don't think I ever made it past Act 3 or 4 out of 6 hmm And uh, I am currently in Act 5, so... Yeah. No. There it's, you go. Uh, it's been, like... <sighs> something I should mention about that particular game is when it first came out, it was a buggy mess, and they have done a lot to improve it and clean up some of the stuff that where you could just kind of lose seemingly out of nowhere and not even know why... They've done a better job of signposting some of the various things that are going on there. And so it's oh, a yeah. It's yeah a that better was game than actually used to be.
1: That was the thing that kind of really um, pushed me away from it was the idea that, like, you'd make decisions and not really be warned of their impact.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there were, there were what I would call <laughs> perhaps not invisible doom clocks, but heavily obfuscated ones where it's like some horrible thing is ticking down. This is going to put you into a death spiral, and you're just going to lose the game in about 20 minutes, and you have no idea why. So mm-hmm. they've they've done a better job of getting rid of some of that, although not all of it. I've, I've still been having to kind of save scum my way through for, like, kingdom events and stuff, which is oh. a little annoying, but I'm still having fun with it, so it's been good. That's fair. To the point where I have started really looking forward to the sequel that they're doing. They're going to be doing the uh, the same developers are going to be doing the Wrath of the Righteous adventure pack which mm-hmm. um, centers around the world wound in Galarian which is like this permanent it, it's like Pathfinder meets Doom. It's like okay. this permanent portal to hell. There's this army of paladins like trying to push all the demons back in and it, it takes place around there basically. Gotcha. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be coming out if they make their time window sometime in the middle of next year. So I kind of wanted to finish this one before that one came out. And then I don't know. I, for the longest time I was just playing like slay the spire and stuff. And it's, Mm. uh, it's kind of nice to get back into something a little meatier again. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
1: We have been talking a while. We should probably do some of the actual topics yeah, we're here we to should, talk about. we should about. make some
0: concessions to our format. Let's do a Patreon so. topic. Yeah, let's and do a Patrick. That
1: sounds good. All right. I'm, I got a die. Let's roll this die. All right. That's a die. I keep rolling really high on these dice. I apologize to everybody <laughs> like who I'm completely missing. This is this is the danger of
0: um, of dice. You could always try rolling a D twenty and then just counting back through from the back of it if you run off. Know. That
1: feels like cheating. I've got a die that is exactly the same size as the number of questions.
0: All right. Well, fair enough. Hey, it's randomness. You get what you get, right? <laughs> it is. All right. So, what do we have for our question here?
1: All right. Uh, patron question is from Joseph Lenarden with a Pathfinder slash D anD D what I'm going to generalize as a F-20 setting in mind, what kind of hero would you want to be? Alignment, class, goals, however y'all want to answer. What would you want to be? I mean, probably as close to Lambert as I could get. Fair. Wizard. Yeah. Magic and knowing things. That seems great.
0: Yeah, I, I've i talked about this before, but like one of my big power fantasies in, in D&D is to be able to like Fix stop things. awful stuff from happening. Which is one of the reasons why I like playing clerics and other healing classes so much, is it's like, I can stop you from dying, I can stop you from starving, I can stop you from suffering in so many ways. hmm And I'm gonna. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's kind of my thing. Ah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, All right, well, but... that was an incredibly quick question. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> well, I mean, we've we've given some thought to this in the past, so, like... Joseph gave us something that we'd already considered and didn't have to do a lot of the thinking about up front. I suppose as that's part of true. the question.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I there's a real risk I would end up as one of those, like, you know, b- lawful neutral liches that float around certain settings, <laughs> just trying to gather as much information as possible. Trying to read literally everything that's ever been published.
0: Like, yes, uh, basically.
1: <laughs> Don't bother me. I'm reading. <laughs> he said to death accidentally. <laughs> yeah.
0: Two like, oh, thousand years fine. later, he
1: looked up. Did I just reach the end of my library? <laughs> oh, well,
0: oh, well shoot.
1: time to go to the bookstore. <laughs> what
0: oh, do, you mo- what do you mean, my money? What do you mean my money isn't valid anymore? Books. What do you mean my money is from the
1: old kingdom? What happened here? What did
0: I miss? It's worth more. It's an antique now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody yeah, like walks into Barnes and Noble and just plunks down a pile of Spanish doubloons, like. My register can't take these, but I'm sure somebody's can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. Joseph, thank you. And if you want to ask your
1: own question and get ridiculous answers, uh, just support us on Patreon. Patreon.com savingthegame saving uh, the game. As little as a dollar a month helps keep the show on the air. It lets us do silly things in the middle of our episodes. It's great. We love it. You know, and yeah, it, there's a bunch of other perks. You should check it out. It's awesome. And uh, if you, by the way, if you have your own questions to send to us, Patreon supporters who are already supporters, you can send them to us. This is your biweekly reminder. Yeah,
0: we have (laughs) lots of empty slots in our table. So. Oh, do we? Anyway, we got a little bit of scripture to read. Uh, Do you want me to take the long one or the short one? I'll give you the long one because
1: I tend to trip over those. So Oh, that's fine. All right. So this is Genesis chapter 11, verses one to nine. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From
0: there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And this is Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people.
1: So we have done a couple of these brainstorming about a setting episodes a couple of times, but uh, this was time great I get to be on one. Yeah. <laughs> that's exciting. We've done a few others. Uh, Peter, last time you brainstormed part of an archipelago, and then the first one I think was the, the built, We Built This City on Rock and Wool episode. Yeah, Jenny um, had to
0: make a city for, um, for her, her game at the library. Uh, yeah, her library game, which sounds like that's going well, so that was validating to hear. To be perfectly honest, a game run
1: by teens and pre- you know, four pre- teens and preteens, I was either going to, you know, be the highlight of their week every week or something that immediately failed and I'm glad it was the former.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Sounds like she's got a cool thing going there and also like I'm I'm glad Jenny has been able to not only maintain continuity but also like deal with some of the other meta challenges of like running a game out of a library so yeah
1: exactly i mean it it helps that you're you know in charge of the library instead of rent you know trying to find space in the library and reserve a spot but yeah um we really should kind of talk to like jenny and some other librarian about like running games at a library
0: okay this topic this conversation keeps spawning (laughs) (laughs) yeah additional topics like I I know another librarian but I don't I think do that too. actually I know several. One yeah. of them has run games at work but I don't think he would want to be on the podcast. Oh, well, I can check with another one. Okay. We'll see. We were talking right before recording about you know the fact that what we're
1: talking about tonight is for Peter's game. We're trying to plan some stuff for Peter's game. And the problem is that 3 of the 4 players in Peter's game listen to this podcast. And that spawned a topic in and of itself on how to handle players knowing what the GM is thinking, which I have actually done on like the player side and the GM side and that sort of thing. So expect that in the future yep. at some
0: point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that yeah. was one of those things where it's like, I don't know that I'm uh, prepared to talk about that tonight on such short notice, but we should totally throw that in the topics list. Yeah, Furious absolutely. typing ensues. So, So, Peter... You've
1: got stuff in the works and you've got some questions. Hit me up.
0: All right. So let me just throw out some quick baselines for both you and anybody who's not in my game who's listening to this. The setting is a world with a lot of history. It originally started out as like a hard science fiction setting. There was a dimensional breach that brought a bunch of horrible like cosmic horror entities, elder evils into the world, and also basically made it into a magical setting. A massive war between this incredibly advanced civilization and these new, like, Lovecraftian horrors ensued that was actually a Pyrrhic victory for the civilization. A lot of these nasty entities got locked away in these uh, secure facilities and places around the world, and then the level of attrition was so high that the civilization collapsed. There's a bunch of these ancient vaults that have been, like, sustaining themselves for an incredibly long period of time due to things like checksums, making sure that none of the schematics for the self-replicating nano machines get corrupted and that sort of thing. But most of that world is gone. Some large number of years later, but still several thousand years, probably about, it ended about 4,000 years before the start of the current uh, events, there was another civilization that rose up and got pretty advanced. Level of Like, development is comparable to, like, Eberron or Ravnica, where you've got kind of the magic as technology thing. Yeah. That one also collapsed due to just very normal, like, you know, Rome got too big and unwieldy and, you know, (laughs) exterior forces, corruption, you know, the normal things that make empires fall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The current era that my players are in... Uh, they are in a world that has made it up to about eh, late 1700s, like American Revolution levels of technology plus fantasy stuff. Right. And they, the PC group for this particular game, is going out into this massive archipelago, like the size of the Atlantic Ocean, to try and like bring other areas into their empire. They are doing it in a very nice way because they're playing the good empire. I, I based this kind of on the. Uh, A super idealized version of how the Achaemenid Persian Empire used to try and negotiate territory into their empire where Mm -hmm. it was like, hi there Uh, we're a large empire full of all kinds of like massive amounts of trade goods and routes that are very secure and would you like to join us and pay a modest amount of taxes and continue to largely self-rule yourself? (laughs) And then if the answer was no, the Persians would be like, no, that wasn't a request and they would conquer people, but this particular, the, the Stellavorn, which is the empire that the PCs work for, is like, all right, well, standing offer. There's a lot of stuff that you could have access to that you currently don't.
1: The the Federation, really.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're they're very much like that. And then there's two other empires. There's kind of the evil one, which is this uh, dragon and dragonborn empire, the Vanarax, which are just kind of like blasting their way across the world, like conquering with fire and blood. And then there's kind of the... The kind of, like, nasty, morally gray, but there's still some decent people here, Empire of Karkovia, which acts a little more like the actual colonial powers did. It's gotcha. like, we're going to show up and say this is ours, but we're not just going to slaughter everybody just because we can.
1: But we have a flag.
0: Yeah. Did you not see the flag? Yeah, there's a flag. Yeah. It's it's very pretty, you know? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the baseline. So here's here's some of the stuff that I've got that I would love another GM's input on. You listened to the episode that Jenny and I did where we brainstormed the archipelago, right? Uh, a while back. Okay. So there's this one particular island that is just like basically a massive portal to the Feywild. There's this enormous amount of Fey influence here. Um, The evil dragon empire tried to conquer this island and failed spectacularly. (laughs) There is um, basically an enormous artificial reef slash shanty town off of the coast that is just made of wrecked ships. This combination of that plus the island itself is known as the Vibrant Grave. There is a group of pirates that operates out of there with a lot of fae influence to them, but I'm having... Difficulty coming up with a whole lot beyond a few like visual cues for okay. how Fey plus pirates work, and you said you had some ideas, so hit me. Yeah, yeah, okay. So first of all, if you're gonna steal, steal from
1: the best. All right. And Keith Baker has already solved this problem for you, which oh, is has to he? say, okay, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, specifically, he had in the Ebron novels that he wrote, believe it or not, not even part of the setting uh, material, but in the 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 first. Set of novels set Eberron, I believe. He had a airship with a that had a uh, a living wood core that still had a dryad in it.
0: Interesting.
1: So obviously you have ships with dryads
0: in the wood. Okay, I like this. Continue. Right? No, no, yeah. we're done. That's all you need. Oh, okay. Boom. Well... Done. Walk away. <laughs> all right. Pencils well... down. Head on out here's Here's a couple other ideas I had just for the record, I guess. Um, uh, overgrown ships covered in colorful flowers, uh, harpies and red caps used as boarding troops. yeah, so um, these are good, these are all good aesthetic ideas,
1: and I love all of this. What are you having issues with? like their motivation other than hang out
0: and be pirates? Yeah, or maybe like what's going to make their behavior different from normal pirates, if anything? Okay, so, do you remember the colony
1: game? I do. Finally. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember how weird the water nymph I had in that game was? Yeah, she was kind of trippy. The Fae are weird. What do they want? And if you have a Fae queen in the Fae wild who's got a bunch of pirates working for her, what exactly do they value? Because it's probably not gold and treasure. Yeah. Are they stealing pretty things regardless of value are they taking pretty people regardless of value are they creating changelings and swapping them out is that how they're taking over ships are they farming you know are there like weird underwater sargasso farms because if we're talking about pirates that doesn't necessarily mean everything is on top of the water Right. right? Especially a good, in a fantasy is actually setting. This a really good excuse to use some of those weird aquatic creatures that you never actually get to use. Like, you know, your sea elves and uh, – Tritons know, the, the and – Tritons and all that weird water stuff. Hmm. Um,
0: okay. There's
1: a wonderful podcast that I have sadly not mentioned on this show much at all called Monster Man. And um, I can't remember the name of the guy who does it, but what he's doing is he's going through the old monster manual, starting from like DD the original DD monster manual, uh, and just going through entry by entry and talking about it. He's not giving statistics or anything. He's just kind of talking about like what this creature is. And it turns out like, oh, hey, there's a bunch of like repeated fae in this particular book because like every culture has got its own little take on the mischievous fae. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, we've got like fifteen of them in this book, and they're all—they all have to be very slightly different, right? But it turns out there's a bunch of random water stuff that was probably in various different modules. So, hmm. for example, uh, you remember like diving bell spiders, which are real things? No. <laughs> oh yeah, they're spiders that build uh, webs and use those webs to trap air and push that air down under the water so they have aired a little diving bell of air to go back to, and they hunt underwater. <laughs> That's cool. Or And um, actually, Robert E. Howard in the Cull Books has uh, water spiders that skim across the water like bugs. This is a great chance to have weird fights with water insects. Okay. Right? And this is just... Ecology around here, and of course, in the fa—you fe- know—in a Feywild influenced area, you're going to have weird stuff, right? Like slap aquatic anything, like aquatic whatever you're going to have a fight with, right? Okay, aquatic so, bullet. So, so uh-huh. you gave
0: me one particular idea with like the the spiders thing. It would be very interesting to be on a ship expecting a naval battle and effectively have to deal with a cavalry charge across the surface.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't have to be spiders, although, you know, that's got its own very visceral sort of feel. But, like, you know how—have um, you been able to ever see, like, little water skimmer bugs, like the ones that sit on the water tension and Yeah, we've across? got those up here, too. Okay, great. Good. I, we have them up in the mountains. I wasn't sure if that was a, a thing you guys had.
0: Uh, they might but, be you know, a different type, but, yeah, probably, there's, yeah, there's stuff that does that here. Yeah.
1: So you have those big spread-out legs, right? Yeah. Well, you know, fey magic, maybe these things can support themselves even scaled up. So you have your red caps charging across on little water bugs.
0: Yeah, that's probably not something that's going to be a real welcome right? sight. Or,
1: or you're like, you're, you know, your little grigs or whatever, like whatever weird little fey things, right? So just everything is weird, right? And, and, and the thing is, it's not the weirdness of the deep, cold, dark water of, you know, where the light is gone. Right, it's the weirdness of the uh, the sunlit bits, d- the shallows where there's light and life and color, and all of that turned up to eleven because it's you know the Fey, it's it's nature at its most extravagant. Yeah, it's, know, not, it's not giant fish and
0: Cthulhu. It's Australia, basically.
1: Yeah, it's you know, the I mean, you have massive reefs and crazy eels and very cool octopi and you know fish that are just a riot of color and plants, right? Seaweed and kelp and just you know, um, you know, massive mangrove uh, shorelines that you have houses built into. Right. And, and they're sort of in and out of the water. So you have all of these sorts of things. And some of this is aesthetic, but it's aesthetic that then drives what life is like here and what they're after. Because, you know, still a little bit from like the Disney Little Mermaid. Huh. What is this? It's some weird thing from the land. Yeah, and we kind of know about it, but we have a real sh- look. We have a real shortage of metal forks out here. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, stuff, you know, what are they missing? What are their weird fey masters wanting? That's then what drives them, because that influences them. And I say weird fey masters, you know, if you've got a fey captain of a ship, he's gonna be valuing things differently and approaching things differently. And goodness knows they can do things like summon up fog or, you know, um, have the ship come out from under the water and all that sort of
0: weird nonsense. This will also make the the pirates more scary because they're less predictable. Like yes. They it's like they'll go sail right past the treasure fleet and sack some little sloop that's got, you know, a figurehead that they like on the front of it or something.
1: Yeah. But this is also, you know, but you know when they when it comes down to it this is why, you know, this domineering, controlling Dragonborn Empire is unable to handle this. It's – we expected a straightforward battle where numbers mattered and instead – you like, we expected to fight a duel with swords and you showed up with an octopus and I don't know how to handle that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, you threw the octopus at my head and then it like wrapped me up and started stinging me or something. Yeah. That's... Yeah.
1: That's, a, that's an
0: ancient meme there. But yeah, like
1: that <laughs> – that idea of it's not that you're fighting asymmetrically, it's that you're seeing symmetries we can't. Right. You know, okay. Like, so that that
0: weird different angle, I think, is fun. Because no, I I like this because the this is I think the thing that I was missing is I was like, oh eh, well, it's kind of naturey and stuff, but it's like, eh. I wasn't really thinking about like the bizarre priorities and stuff, and that's that's I think what I was missing here. Yeah, and you know, Chrissy,
1: this is actually the 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 highest compliment I think I ever received when I was running this uh, this game, and it was a complete accident that okay. I did this. Okay, uh, I'm going to run back to the the colony game real fast. So we had a character, an NPC who um, disappeared into the Feywild through this water nymph's pool. Okay.
0: This is Elric Croucher, right? Yeah, this was Croucher. Okay. Uh, Not they, to be confused with Croucher Jenny's character in your game. Right. Yeah. They are very uh, different people. <laughs> I don't
1: think his name was Elric. I don't remember his first name. It was Croucher. It didn't matter. Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, this dude who was hauling water uh, from this one spring that they had available full of fresh water out to the colony and, the you know, he one day he just disappeared and you guys finally were like. Well, let's ask the water nymph, and the nymph was like, "Oh yeah, no, he he went through the portal. He was super, you know. My my mistress called him. Uh is he fine? Oh, he'll be fine. When will he be back? Eh, could be a couple of months. Could be as long as it takes a drop of water to fall from the roof of my cavern to the floor. And I that was just this weird, random one-off thing. Okay, right. That I was just like, uh, she probably doesn't know what like seconds are. So let me just try and describe something she might see trapped in this cavern. Right. right? (laughs) Um, And like moons. Okay. Everybody knows moons. It's fine. But then that somehow captured everyone. And Chrissy was like, that's the best description I've ever heard because it's so weirdly alien, like months or whatever to her, but she's a water spirit. So the, the fall of a drop of water, that's important. That's what takes time. She pays attention to that. And that idea of what do you prioritize and what do you pay attention to? Because it's not just things that they know that you don't. Weird blind spots are wonderful for the Fae. Oh, yeah, you know, I, I know all these weird bits of arcane magic. I have no idea what that book is. I have no idea what, like, this piece of technology is. I'm sorry. Yeah. Did what's you a say clock? It's like, <laughs> wait, you have different music than we've ever heard. Bring it, please. Yes. Oh, yeah. I will get, I will give you a lot for that. You know, wait, you've got a new, dr- new type of drum, you know, or no, I, I don't know anything about the movement of the stars. Like they, they're just always there. Wait, you this is a science. There's things to know. I know nothing about this the very first Sherlock Holmes story, uh, Holmes is, is is revealed to not know whether the earth moves about the sun or the sun moves about the earth. And uh, Watson sort of is like startled by this. He goes, it's not important. I'm paraphrasing. It's not important to my solving cases. So it's extra information I don't need to know. And I'm going to do my best to forget the fact that you've explained this to me because I don't care. <laughs> wow. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's that idea of like, this is just – it's something that it seems like everybody would know and these weird creatures who approach things at radically different you know, angles, they don't – they have these weird blind spots hmm. because that then gives you leverage and, and it makes it feel a little more even in a way. Like they don't have all the advantages. The player characters have angles they can work back.
0: That makes sense. Now I'm now I'm just trying to like conceive of what it would look like if one of these like Fey pirate crews stumbled on the facility of one of the surviving AIs. Well, okay, that yeah. would be an interaction, especially if the PCs were caught in the middle. Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe, but like, actually, I love the idea of them being caught in the middle of like
1: this other Dragonborn Empire.
0: Yeah. Right? Because okay, they Yeah, so let's get a little more about this down, because they're they're definitely a bit more straightforward, but so far all I really have for them is evil, conquering, dragons, and serpents. Yeah, okay, so they're dragons. Right. They rule like dragons.
1: Might, wealth, you know, uh the rule of the strong, like you know lots you know we say lots of fire but there's lots of different types of dragons in D&D and you can absolutely play that up right you have like your five different military wings that specialize in different types of dragon right you know uh especially if you go the chromatic dragons
0: yeah i okay so interesting thing there there's there's already a group that they've been bumping into they use dragonborn as their ground troops because you know humanoids and um they've they've bumped into a group of three or four of this group called the Worm Talons that are kind of uh-huh. like the evil version of what the player characters are. It's like, okay. yeah. we'll take these these exceptional individuals, a couple of them were undead, but one of them wasn't, and we're going to send them out and they're going to stir up trouble for our enemies, basically.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, and that's great. Let me ask this. Do they differentiate between chromatic and metallic dragons? Yeah, they absolutely do. They're mostly chromatic
0: in that particular okay. empire.
1: Great. So there
0: are metallic rebels hiding out, right? Yeah, and there's also metallic like dragons just kind of wandering around the rest of the world too. So Okay. So you've got this Empire of Chromatic Dragons and Chromatic
1: Dragonborn. At some point you've got to have a metallic dragon or dragonborn show up and the player characters react going, "It's a dragon. It's a dragonborn." And you guys and
0: then ah, but eh, hold on. eh? Uh, Uh, That would be cool if they didn't already have a dragonborn as part of their crew. Look, don't you go thinking smart... Like, okay, like Praxathar is like a well-liked All right, NPC in their crew. So.
1: Curse he's, your players for being clever and you well, know making okay. interesting characters well, no, ahead of time. Okay,
0: so there, there's a story about this that I don't think I ever told you. So one of my players had a bunch of life stuff happen before the first session, right? Uh, yeah. Um. So he's like, yeah, I'm afraid I'm going to have to miss this. And I was like, no, you're not going to miss this. What I, What's going to happen is I'm going to throw you together a fighter... And you'll have him to pilot for any combat scenes that happen. And then you can just play your actual PC whose personality and stuff you figured out in the interactive scenes. And I'll sprinkle some hand wavy on why this is going to happen. Something with like a gas in your PC's criminal background. It'll be fine. Right. So I put together Praxithar. And Praxithar is like a living statue person from who was originally a dragonborn. There's a whole setting thing here that... I stole out of um Compendium of Forgotten Secrets Awakening, which is like this warlock guide for 5e. It's very cool, but it's not super germane to this thing. So stuck him out there and like he piloted him for a while, and then I started using Praxithar to fill in to balance encounters if somebody had to miss a session. Uh-huh. At this point the entire party is attached to Praxithar, so he's not going anywhere. <laughs> no, that's that's totally fair. Um Okay, so yeah, you, ha- you have this
1: I'm viewing this very militaristically. Yeah. Because yeah. if you have a might makes right, you've got kind of a military dictatorship. And I think it's maybe okay to have like this very fiery military dictatorship. Like a have you read through the, the fifth edition hobgoblin information? I don't think I have. I skimmed You're a little sure bit it? of it, but because they've got that whole military organization kind of thing. Super structured society.
0: That and then make it more evil. Because hobgoblins,
1: as written, are kind of
0: they kind of ride that line between lawful neutral and lawful evil.
1: Yeah, yeah, they kind of do. They're you can kind of push it either way depending on the setting, right? Two x lawful, one so, x evil. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, clo- pretty close. Pretty um, close. So, yeah, you can absolutely have that very strict structure, and you can make that strictness uh, a strength and a weakness.
0: Like, for instance, they have really good discipline, like the Roman legionaries did, but. They tend to be inflexible in their thinking
1: or, you know, they tend to just throw large numbers of troops at things rather than approach with subtlety. Or, you know, we always eventually go back to we're just going to burn you down and hope it works. Right. Like some combination of like the Romulans and the Fire Nation.
0: Okay, (laughs) You
1: know, Um, Romulans may be a bad example because they tend to be super sneaky in various different Star
0: Trek. Uh, productions but you know like yeah, the, the that fire idea. nation sure isn't though <laughs> yeah like the the
1: fire nation idea of just what is this it's a lot of boats burn it it's just <laughs> a know? lot of boats <laughs> yeah i mean right that's that's just how how it's approached so that idea of we're very straightforward um i like the idea that maybe there's there's different like you have like a council of 5 right council of tiamat obviously yeah. um and you know you have your five different chromatic dragon types on the council. And then they are, you know, like there's a military wing kind of for each one. So you have whatever dra- you know, like a, a mostly black dragon, dragonborn sort of approach to things you know where it's very nasty maybe, and brutal. Well, they're very maybe stealthy, right? Because they're swampy and they they hide and they yeah. You but know. they're they're
0: they're like held up as like the meanest of the um, the chromatic dragons. Whereas like the reds tend to be much more haughty and stuff, so they might be like the sure. heavy infantry in shining armor that you know comes charging at you in mass. And the green dragons would probably be like I don't know more. I've been using a lot of them for some reason. Just Well, I mean, they're fun and interesting.
1: Yeah. Who doesn't like acid?
0: Yeah, exactly. Or poison in their particular case. Oh, acid yeah, yeah. is the poison. black.
1: I, I always get it mixed up.
0: Yeah. Like, I always mix. Up. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But like that idea of... Um, I literally would not know if I hadn't been like using them as villains. So <laughs> Okay, fair point. Fair point. But that idea of maybe um, different,
1: different approaches, I think you could have fun with because that way it's not super samey. But it yeah always, no i I really like like I idea. love the idea of like like black dragonborn
0: as um like swampy
1: special forces,
0: okay, so you have just teed me up to to like plug something that I wrote a little while ago. Did I ever show you the finished product for e n world that I did uh no, okay, so. Um, Fun fact, I recently got an article published in the EN World Patreon. They come out with like these small, um, like five page documents every week. Um, I got a, a pitch accepted for that. I actually took some stuff from the motorcycle game and mixed it with some stuff from the current setting. So I made like a portmanteau of different stuff from my different games and then threw it into an article. But the villain that I made for this because this was a, a villain spotlight was Yaxi, the blighted or Yaxi, the blight gunner of Chokewater? Mm-hmm. So there's this evil swamp. There's this former dragon, black dragonborn mercenary who lives in this swamp. Who's like made up a, a pact with this malign intelligence that kind of permeates the swamp. And she uses a combination of stealth, necromancy, marksmanship, and explosives to terrorize people who come through the swamp. So, like, the zombie shambles up, the sniper shoots it, and it explodes into fire and nails. Okay. That's her thing. So, I suppose I could take, like, that whole, like, fight dirty, you know, use scary tactics thing and turn it into a whole, like, division or battalion or, like wing of the Vanarax military, and that would work. So, yeah, I I think that's a cool approach.
1: I like that idea a lot. Because giving, again, I think just as long as it's not predictable. I mean, listen, there's there's a lot of fun in beating up stormtroopers. Right. Okay? I mean, please do, all of you. But by the same token... You, you, when they're always just the stormtroopers in white armor and they always do
0: the same thing, it does get a little samey after a while. Yeah. I don't so, think I have had my players fight the same monster twice yet. So I think I'm, I'm covered there. And that's a common thing in D&D. But at the same time, like,
1: sometimes you just find a lot of bandits.
0: Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think
1: that that might be okay because there's a certain... Especially if it's a, a group that they can relate to, even if it's not the same people. It's like, oh, it's more of these troops. Right. right? Oh, it's more bandits from this giant bandit organization. We kind of know about them and we have a relationship with them and they're going to be like, it's them. Get them. Yeah. It's right? like, it's oh, the, again, these it's, jerks again from both right,
0: sides of the conflict. Yeah. The
1: Fire Nation yelling, it's the Avatar. Get him, Right. Yeah. Like, OK, it's not the same troops. Uh, okay, the general might be the same, but you know, like it's it's not the same troops. But everybody's There's reputations
0: like, and they go both ways. It's
1: reputations and it kind of feels like, oh, we're fighting you guys again. Okay, yeah, and that that is <clears throat>
0: fun. And that, yeah, that is something that I have been lacking is because they and I'm the guilty of it too. Wandering nature of this, they don't really have any recurring villains that they've bumped up against, and they can really like, oh, this person again. I am setting one up. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've got a, um, a Karkovian admiral that I'm calling the artist that I'm setting up to kind of hopefully be a recurring villain where they're going to start running into like some of his troops and stuff. But yeah, I could definitely use more of that with like Vannerax and stuff too. So okay, that's it. That's a good thought. I like that one. I, I really like the idea of like the color coded armies too. That's, that's something that I'll have to mull over and think about like what kind of style and. That sort of thing that implies.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, look at the U.S. military. We have the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the – Yeah. You know, like we have all these – I know Marines is Navy, but, you know,
0: yeah. just like these different – Well, they're considered a, a separate branch of the armed forces even if they share ships. and It's a weird thing. But, I know. It's under the Navy. Yeah. Know, theoretically, <laughs> things like
1: that. But like that idea of having it kind of broken out. Yeah, and maybe, and also that gives you fun interdepartmental rivalries,
0: as it were. Yeah, right? that's true. Like maybe the the white dragonborn and the red ones don't get along because you know ice <laughs> and fire, right? Know? Yeah, enemy colors, friendly colors. Yeah, no, I like that. That's that's a good okay. idea. So, um, what else? Hmm. Right, we're
1: closing in on an hour, but that's fine. It's whatever.
0: Yeah. I guess the other thing, too, is it's like, well, let me tell you kind of, like, what I've got for Karkovia and then see if anything jumps out at you, since mm-hmm. they're kind of the, the ones that are left. Or I could I could tell you what I've got for the Empire that the PCs work for. What sounds more interesting? Uh, definitely the antagonists. Okay, so Karkovia is, is kind of supposed to be kind of like the old-world gentry kind of a thing. They still have a feudal system with a lot of, like, titled nobility and stuff. Actually, fun fact, the, uh... The campaign that I want to run for our Saturday group in this world, once I've finally got, like, all of the resources and your Princes of the Apocalypse game has run up, takes place in, like, a remote corner of Karkovia. You would be nobles from this country. So they still have, like, you know, counts and viscounts and, you know, barons and, like, formal titles of knighthood and that sort of a thing. So it's very much that kind of, you know, aristocratic kind of uh, governance. Right. They are, at the same time, like, trying to colonize, like, you know, we said at the beginning, hey, we have this flag, this land is ours now, we have stuck our flag on it. In fact, actually, one of the the conflicts that I gave them is they had a, the PCs, they had a group that was doing a bunch of lumber cutting on an island that didn't want them there, but were pretty much powerless to get them off of the island, and they were getting closer and closer to this sacred grove where the literal history of the people on the island was spelled out on the bark of these trees. Um, One of the trees would die, they would carefully strip the bark off and hang it up and it it formed like this beautiful archive of their culture going back like centuries. And the Kharkovians were getting closer and closer to this. So the, the PCs eventually they did a bunch of scouting, they found out that the people in charge of this operation just wanted X amount of wood and didn't really care where they got it from. They found an island with like more and better quality lumber and was like hey go up there and stop bugging these people they're like all right we're go up there now so there are individual members of this society that can be reasoned with and are not just going to dig in their heels and order like a cannon volley at anybody who tries to talk to them or something how unified is it internally uh not very <laughs> that's kind of one of the things that i'm trying to trying to um, portray is there's rivalries and stuff inside this society. Like, yeah. So it sounds like you need to do some reading on the Holy Roman Empire. Okay. Because
1: it is, of course, famously described as neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Thank you, Mike Myers. Yeah. And it's, it is this incredibly loose conglomeration of lots and lots and lots of these tiny little kingdoms. OK, you know, like I do not know much about it, so I'm going to badly misquote it. But it was something like between 100 and 500 different tiny kingdoms. <laughs>
0: Whoa. OK. Okay. Yeah.
1: And yeah, you've got an emperor over all of that. The politics were ridiculous because you've got to, you know, have, figure out who's king and who's emperor. And you got all these feudal relationships going every which way. Right. So play that up right? Don't just have a conflict between the... what was the name? Oh, uh, Karkovia. Yeah, okay, so you don't just have an uh, a conflict between Karkovia and some outsider in the archipelago. You have two or three or four rival Karkovian barons, kings, dukes, princes, whatever all making trouble, all not trusting each other, all fighting each other, all, you know, just being ridiculous problems, all at each other's throats. And also there are people caught in between and it's causing problems for you and their neighbors and everybody else, right? And maybe your player characters pick one inside with them. Maybe your player characters go, all right, we're getting all four of you together and slap you all into line. Maybe they say,
0: "You know, hey, look, maybe a just this
1: once, throw some gas on it. <laughs> yeah, ma- just this once. Maybe let's work with the dragons. Burn all this down, <laughs> right? Like, who knows? We, I'm sorry, you guys are doing what? Listen, you all need to shut up because we know some Fey pirates, and um, they're going to eat you. So please <laughs> go away. What, whatever your player characters decide, right. just give them a huge tangled mess of a problem, where." It's very clear that they don't really care about what's going on outside and what's important is the intra – the interior politics. OK. Right? And that is having repercussions for everybody outside. Um, you know, you don't need to necessarily spell out what everything is but like, hey, here's this big exploitable archipelago. Well, wouldn't it be – of course I'm claiming this – for the emperor, of course, yeah, sure, no problem, but of course, you know, if the emperor's taxmen didn't show up, that would be ideal, because all the rest of this is going back to my holdings, and that increases my wealth and my standing with my neighbors, and lets me get one up over the baron over there, yeah, right? I okay. mean, sicking the emperor's taxmen on a thief, uh, on a holding in this archipelago could very well be a player character solution, you know, like
0: interesting, cool. okay,
1: whatever, because it's like obviously it, these this is not an empire. What you are describing is a gaggle of greedy, needy princes who are all going to cause trouble. And for everybody they encounter. For everybody they encounter, but who are not evil. They are just – they are engaged in a struggle that, again, is a little bit at a at – a, a little bit perpendicular to what the player characters are trying to do. But it's intersecting with this archipelago and causing problems because they don't care about this archipelago. They're, they got their own thing going on, but the right. archi- archipelago is exploitable resources and people and allies.
0: It's a Maybe, way to get an edge over the stuff oh, they're doing back home. Gotcha. Right.
1: Okay. To be sure, some of them view you know, Plavithon as a threat, and some of them view the dragons as a threat. But you know who's also a threat? The guy at court who's going to, you know, cause them to lose tax revenue and impoverish them, and eventually they're going to lose control of their fiefdom, and then their their lineage will die out and be subsumed into some other house, and that is just as much an
0: existential threat as being burned alive by dragons. All right, then okay, yeah that's that was the piece that I was missing for them too, so interesting, yeah, definitely need more infighting there,
1: well, and there's a interesting um
0: or even just a, like in plotting and in yeah, that's, that's like it, gossiping right? and like sure, and absolutely these
1: guys can some of them can be very overt, you know like you're almost baroque you know. Uh, guilt-and-gold-and-fine-silk kind of idiot noble, right? right? Go for that. Some of them can be sneaky spymasters. It's whatever, yeah, right? Because you've got so many, they can literally be whatever you want. Yeah. Great. And that gives you a lot of flexibility.
0: I mean, um, the, the, but- the three that they've met so far are kind of like this group that of three that are working together on this lumbering operation, and I've got, like, a knight who seriously, one of the things that they did to convince him to move to the different this different island was, hey, it's cooler up there. Like, (laughs) perfect. He was roasting in his armor and miserable about that. And they're like, hey, the prevailing winds, you know, it's it's a good 10 degrees cooler there all the time. Oh, by the way, and the lumber's better. He's like, all right. So that's where we're going. You know, they've they've got a mage who's worried about his sick wife at home. And this kind of mysterious because they haven't looked into him as much priest that's just kind of like quietly plotting away and trying to make things run smoothly. So there's a little bit of that already, you know and those are kind of like a little triad of guys that, so yeah, I could definitely I could either give them some internal conflict or I could make them a internal faction in that nation and then stick them up against like this artist guy and maybe one or two others that are right and the thing is you
1: know it's it's every man for himself but also there's very clear loyalties that you have to abide by because of these complex feudal arrangements right right uh and, and that gives you a lot to play with you can have what literally whatever strings you want to be there for that session can be there and they're all justifiable
0: and there, oh, I don't interest- like the Chesterhams, but we have an ancient treaty going back 270 years with them. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, well, or no, like I literally hold my lands
1: in fief from this guy, uh, but he's a real prick. And I wouldn't mind if some player characters killed him off, but I'm legally obligated to defend him.
0: Yeah. Like, it gets very complicated. And it now, can be if I want. were to get some terrible tactical advice and put my people on the wrong side of a hill while he was assassinated, well... Yeah, These things happen, you know? uh, Yeah,
1: however you want to play it out. And I don't know if this is just me or if it's just coincidence or what, but it is interesting that, you know, both of these are kind of a little bit – not – the goals of both of these factions that we've talked about don't necessarily quite align with like what the player characters are trying to do. Right. Or at least let me say the reasons, because they have their own internal reasons that make sense to them,
0: but are a little bit alien. Which well, is they're fun. also becoming more free agents. Like they started out as kind of like a privateer kind of Who's thing. They? The player characters, okay. Yeah. Um, they, they're they're actually the formal title of what they are was explorer privateer. So okay. they're kind of like civilian freelancers that are still somewhat answerable to the naval command of the Empire that they ostensibly work for and basically I I gave them the ability to get missions from a boss but not have to kind of be marched through every single thing Mm. they do so right do they have a political officer aboard
1: I don't believe they do no are you just saying that because the player characters are listening
0: uh maybe (laughs) (laughs) No, actually they don't. They they've got um a crew that they can Should account they? for, so possibly. But I'm like, not sure who I would make it. Is the
1: other <laughs> thing. um or you know, hey, you get back to port. New no orders every ship's got to have a political officer. Y'all are running too free. All right, well, I, we can't just push this guy overboard, can we? I mean, we can, <laughs> but that causes more problems.
0: Um, you know, that's that's a possible complication if you want to go that route. I'm not sure I do. They've that's they've been fair. doing a pretty good job of like getting into interesting stuff on their own. I feel like if I stuck a political officer on board the ship, it would just irritate the players and slow things down. Okay, no, that's that's reasonable. Um, it I am is always kind of nice to have a self motivated group of player characters, which is awesome. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful.
1: Anyway, that was just a random thought that I Yeah, no, to me.
0: that that's that's that is funny, but I might do that in some future game set in this setting. But Yeah. Well, or you know things you know, it
1: turns out player characters change the world around them. Things change. Yeah. Maybe when war breaks out, well now we gotta have, you know privateers are maybe a little less trusted, right? Yeah. Except maybe these guys, well, you know, we've proven it and we don't necessarily need them. Or you went over the political officer, or we blah 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 blah. Whatever. Yeah, right. Hey, uh, we had a player character kick the bucket. Uh, how do we get somebody else? How do we get another character on the boat? Political officer, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, whatever, right? So, they, yeah, yeah, it's, it's an option. It's a possibility. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, I I like what you're doing with the setting. I am a sucker for archipelagos as settings because they are nice little contained units, but very connected and ships are wonderful because they give you the whole this is our home and we're taking our home with us wherever we go and it gives us those those scenes on the boat right for Mm -hmm. player characters to interact and you get to know a small set of people it's great like I love that whole idea same reason I love star systems and ships going from planet to planet or you know system to system you get those Little moments of bottle episode where you get to talk to each other,
0: yeah, and I honestly, I just gave them a larger ship recently because I wanted to get into some more of that. They currently had or they started out with like this little tiny sloop that was very, very fast, and yeah. um they tended to get where they were going in a just a massive hurry because a player character turned out to be optimized for navigating uh-huh. so. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, range a little further afield, you know, you have the whole ill-defined
1: archipelago to, you know, say, yeah, your next thing is over here. It's yeah. going to take like five days. Oh, Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah, you
0: know? they're they're uh, they're definitely taking like longer periods of time to, like I said, it's like Perfect. the size of the Atlantic, like um, a week or so traveling between destinations is not unusual. I just haven't Perfect. been doing a lot of interaction during that time. So that's definitely something I've been leaving on the table and need to to do more with. I think make it...
1: You can do some very simple stuff where like, okay, you know, each person give me a little something about what happens and with whom, right? Yeah. Just a little... I would say use... This is going to sound crazy. Look up little LARP rules. Like okay. Like games and, and miniature LARPs and just kind of use those as ideas for like, okay, how are we going to kind of prompt each other to have little role-playing scenes, right? And just kind of do a round-robin thing of like, okay, here's a scene, here's a scene, here's a scene. Or maybe it's like, okay, on this leg of the trip, it's this. And then, you you know, you do your normal adventure. And then the next time back, okay, it's this person's turn to say what happens on the journey, right? All right. Something like that where you just – that way you're not trying to pack – five different or four different scenes into a like a five-day journey, right? right? Or whatever it is. But maybe, you know, hey, this is a thing that happened in between here and it's this person's turn. All right. We have one thing that happened and four days of very boring sailing. All and right. that's normal because it's a sailing ship. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know? Uh, cool. Right. And you say, listen, none of this is combat unless, you know, it turns into a sword fight on deck or something. Right. You know, we're not, I'm not going to have water spiders skim across the
0: water and attack your ship. This is drama. This is pure right. role play. What happens, yeah, amongst you and the rest of the crew, well, yeah, that'll and also give me a, a better opportunity to flesh out a bunch of these NPC crew members that I've made and haven't been able to do a lot with.
1: Why are you doing it? No, like, why is that on you? All right, uh, who's who's in the scene? Uh, cool. Who wants who wants to play the bosun?
0: Well, no, I mean, like, I came up with the characters, but
1: yeah. yeah, it's okay. So you say okay, so it's uh, it's the swarm of crickets and this other player character who are in the scene, and the bosun's there too. Who wants to play the bosun? Okay,
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I could definitely throw some of that stuff in. That way that way, you don't have well, – so there's two reasons. First of all, it's player-driven,
1: and that's right. great. Second, you have fewer player players sitting around going, doop-doop-doop-doop, doo, I wish I were here.
0: Right. And then you don't have the same, like, four player characters involved in absolutely everything that happens anywhere in the world because they exactly. all want to participate. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah, like, uh, you can play the Dwarven Gunnery Chief. You can play the Aarakocra Lookout. You know, that's – yeah. Right. And
1: that way – and again, they – you have four different people adding to their personalities instead of all of them coming from you. Right. Right. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. You're a good GM. You are good at giving different characterizations to different ones. But by necessity, four people will give a wider spread of personalities. Right.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I, I have a little bit more of a range than I thought I did as I've discovered with Sigvard. But it's still – I'm not Tom Hanks, you know. That's fine. You don't have to. Be. <laughs> yeah, but, but like, but yeah, like I the have idea types. Of, like, yeah, tap that player base and have them portray some more characters. That's that's a good one. And I've heard that advice before. I just didn't think of applying it to this for some reason. This is why it's good to pick the okay. So like. This is probably where we should be winding up here anyways, because we're getting up on like an hour and 20. But um, this whole episode is why it's good to pick the brain of another GM from time to time, because by necessity, they will think of things and have a perspective on things that you do not. Unless you are like cloning yourself and asking your clone, you're going to get like... I didn't think of the color-coded Dragon Army thing, and I love that idea. Like, the whole thing with the Fae, where they've got, like, bizarre, like, water skimmer units and strange priorities about what they're pirating for and that sort of thing. Didn't think of that stuff, so it's it's good. And then, you know, like, this interstitial travel scene thing either. I, I tend to be very task-focused in my GMing. Like, I give the players some freedom to kind of, like go places and do things and i will do my best to like set an interesting scene when they get there yeah but like setting is my strong point and drama is probably my weak point so some more dramatic advice is is good
1: yeah and i i don't know if i could say like what my strengths and weaknesses are but what's weird is when i gm uh and i'm coming up with my own settings and that sort of thing. Obviously running a module like I'm doing right now to save brain power is a different thing entirely. But, um, when I GM and often even when I play, what I actually am trying to do is I come up with a scene and I don't mean like a, a role play scene. I mean like a visual scene or some moment, very quick kind of thing that I want to see. Okay. And then I try and come up with reasons for that to happen or like try and, and use that and build towards that. And it it doesn't always work necessarily. Right. I'm not saying this is yeah. a good GMing approach. What I'm saying is that is my thought
0: process, which is different from yours. And therefore, we are coming up with different things. Yeah. Mine tends to be very events based. I tend to be like, OK, what needs to happen? You know, right. now, what does it need to look like? Like. What events need to transpire in order to keep things well, going forward and And well listen, listen. Thinking
1: about how your plot will progress is a good strength. That's <laughs> wonderful. I lack that, and my GMing suffers noticeably as a result. I'm great at painting really cool
0: scenes that go nowhere. Okay? But <laughs> you definitely are good at painting cool scenes. Like I can I can vividly recall a bunch of different moments from the Colony game, like... Finding the giant wood beetle, the whole gull island thing, the dream sequence with the gladiatorial combat, the finding the water nymph, the saugan attack at the beginning. I could keep going, but yeah. And I'm really proud of those.
1: I think those are good GMing moments for me, but they do not lend themselves to a coherent narrative that is driven forward by antagonists to whom the protagonists need to respond.
0: Yeah. And I I will tell you, like, one of the things that I will do that is a strength and a at the same time and actually i just finished writing a blog post about this too so you'll be able to look at that one hey i am totally willing to just have stuff in the game just for setting texture and then if the players have an interest in it then that goes in the dangling plot threads document and i pull it out later and make it mean something.
1: And I love that you have a dangling plot threads document.
0: Okay. If I can give one piece of advice to the other GMs out there, it's have a dangling plot threads document. Yes. You will look like a genius when you start calling back to obscure little things that happened earlier in your game. Yeah, that's really good. (laughs) I don't know what made me do that, but it was like, you know, I got a couple of things I wouldn't mind following up on after the first, like, session and then it's like dangling plot threads document. <laughs> so Well, thank you Grant. This has been yeah, of course. this has been a fun conversation. I've got a bunch of cool ideas that I can't wait to like turn around and actually use for my game. Editing this is going to be a nice piece of uh GM prep for this coming week, so that'll be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is that. And
1: you know, I think this is a useful I love these kinds of episodes because it is an insight into two different styles of GMing and what happens when they sort of run into each other, and I think that's good for both players and GMs, mostly GMs, admittedly. Yeah. But I think there's a you know I, I think there's value for people who just play in thinking, how can I add texture to the world.
0: Yeah, because hopefully
1: and, you're in a game where there, you have some amount of narrative agency and you can be like, oh, well, let me kind of dig into what motivations are going on here. And, you know, if I'm describing something, let me describe something that matches this setting and, and you know, do that yourselves. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Description I,
1: is not at all the sole domain of the GM. No. Never should
0: be. <laughs> and there's, this is one other thing that I will say that, like. I've had some good luck with players on this. Like, the yes. the current group does a certain amount of it, and our Saturday group does a certain amount of it, and it's it's nice to have that out there. It's like, give your GM stuff to work with. <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> yeah, it's great. All right, well, I think we're probably going to wrap it up there, unless you got any last minute stuff that you want to hit me with, Grant, or... Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Um... We definitely need to do more episodes like this, where we just, like... Yeah, I mean... Bounce ideas off of each other and stuff, though, because this was fun. Yeah, this this was good. I enjoyed this a lot. And I, this
1: is the kind of GMing I do love, which is just sit here and brainstorm and not actually have to apply it
0: in any meaningful way. <laughs> so, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm very anxious to apply a bunch of this, but... I don't have young children either so I have I mean, more bandwidth for such things also that yes
1: yeah all right well this has been good um I kind of want to hear first
0: of all from your players after everything happens yeah, I wanna, yeah I definitely hear from like, you guys. um you but know, also um, all of you guys I, like I would and, you know I'd love to hear what you thought of this cuz there there's going to be stuff that I never even thought of that you're probably going to start seeing before you even hear this episode. <laughs> right. There's like, that. Oh, that's where he got the idea. He talked to Grant. OK. Yep.
1: Um But also I want to hear from other people. Like, how would you have done things differently? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, me, let Peter lay it out. Mute me for a little bit. I mean, that's not a bad thing anyway. Just mute me for a while. It's great. Um. Trust me. <laughs> You had lots of good ideas. Stop being um, so self-deprecating. Well, no, but the point is, like, mute me for a bit
0: and, like, how would I answer the question? And then, you know, compare and contrast.
1: Not like, oh, did I get the
0: answer right? No, like. Yeah, because there's really not a right or wrong here as long as the answer isn't be a jerk to your players. Well, right? Yeah, of course. But like, then
1: it's like, oh, I thought of this. Hey, now you've got a third thing to think about right yeah. that you can add to your game or you know like oh steal some of my these ideas that i came up with for my own game and take them over here or oh hey this seems like a cool background for a player character let me grab this and put it yeah. in my characters i'm gonna play someday document you know because we all have those all nine hundred and fifty thousand pages of it yes yeah, exactly it's even if it's not a real document you've got a folder up in your head we yeah. know yeah i know
0: I've got some. I hope there's gaming in heaven because otherwise there's no way I'm going to get there through all these PC ideas. There is no time PC otherwise, ideas. yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, all right. Um, at any rate, I want to hear from everybody on this because it's fun. And who doesn't like talking about game design and, and character creation stuff? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. lovely. All right. From all of us here at Saving the Game, have a good one. Take it easy. I'm doing this way too early because I have not yet plugged our Discord or our social media or anything like that, and you should go check those out too. We are at stgcast.org. You can find Peter's blog posts, I guess yep. past episodes if that's your thing, <laughs> uh, and you can find a link to our social media. We're also, uh, you can find that very easily on Facebook and Twitter. We're saving the game on those, and you can also find a link on our website or on our Twitter to our Discord Uh, which is a wonderful chat room full of very intelligent people uh, and also me. And there's a bunch of great folks who have, like, you know, community-run devotionals and uh, a whole thread of prayer requests and, you know, people who who say, hey, I'm having a problem with my game. Who wants to help me out? If you want to participate in this conversation, just you go to our Discord, you hit join, and then you click on the role-playing Games channel. And guess what? it's there. You're right there. It's great. You can hop in and say, hey, I want to have a conversation because I've got this this setting idea. Help me out, y'all. Yep. Boom, done. You're off. Go. You know, it, it's a wonderful community. Just fantastic. Community. Yeah, really, really nice group. And very creative. We have people who do some amazing stuff and people who you know, work in amazing places and people who you know bring a lot of really cool stuff to like our devotionals. Just amazing.
0: And also, just a really warm, kind-hearted group of people. Absolutely, which is like one of my favorite a, things about them. Yeah. So. Every
1: time a new person joins, there's like five people who are like, "Hey, welcome! Glad you know, to have you
0: here." And it's genuine. You know? It's, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not automated. You know? It's like, oh, sweet, a new person. This is great. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Okay, I did it right this time. Here's the real (laughs) outro from all of us here at Saving the Game. Have a good one. Take it easy. Catch you next time. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.